Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go, the Steelers show. It's the pregame show that hopefully you all know and love. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, the podcast producer here at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Hope you had a chance to check out Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman this morning. It's our flagship morning show. He has Jerome Betts. His name's really Jeremy, but Jeff names people what he wants to name people. <laughs> so they had the All Bets Are Off segment. Always a good show as the Steelers are getting ready. And we are all getting ready for Monday Night Football. The Steelers and the Colts in Indianapolis. And it's going to be interesting because I'm going to talk about something that happened on the very same date on Monday Night Football years ago. But first, I've got to bring in the man. And he's the coach. He's the guy that uh, gets the projector going and explains what's going on with his team better than nobody. So here he is, Kevin Thatcher Smith. You know him as Kevin or KT or just the coach. What's going on, my man? Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, Brian. How was, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a good day? My, I had a great day with family. It was It was excellent. My daughter ran a 5k her third 5k and she's 13 years old and she and she knocked six minutes off of her time and i'm so proud of her and we aren't athletes in the davis family but i might have my first varsity my high school varsity athlete in my daughter jilly not good for her that's that's a good uh you know the mental toughness of runners i've always admired yeah, I'm I'm so proud of her. She's a redhead, so she has mental toughness already. I will tell you that. <laughs> None of us are redheads, and she's the only one. So I, I'm so proud. And she this is something she started in September in in a local 5K. And then she did another one three weeks ago, and now this one, and she's all into it. Uh, that's excellent. That's a great habit to build, you know. Uh plus it's also a good thing, uh, to be into after Thanksgiving because probably like your family, I, I did my patriotic duty and ate myself into a food coma last night. So <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wish at this point in my life, I wanted to run. I run to the buffet, then run elsewhere afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so proud of what she's doing. I think that's fantastic. You had a game yesterday. 
Yeah, we wrapped our season. Uh, un- unfortunately, our season this year mirrored the Steelers season. So, uh, but we got a good look at a lot of young guys. We were we only had four seniors on our team. So the whole team's back next year. So that that's that's kind of exciting. And uh, got to look at some young guys, and they they did some good things yesterday. So. Our, it's funny that the parallels really between the way our season has gone and, and Pittsburgh's in terms of breaking in young talent and trying to figure out, you know, what they can do and how best to, to help them succeed. So, uh, you know, we'll certainly talk about that going forward. And rushing players because of injury to older players, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of kids that really weren't ready to see the field and unfortunately kind of having to learn on the job. And that's a that's a that's a tough sport to learn on the job, uh, the, the physicality of it and the mental challenge, uh, you know, just especially it, it, it's true at every level, whether you're coming from eighth grade to high school, high school to college, college to the pros, whatever the, the jump in terms of what, what you have to digest uh, in uh, the X and O's and the, um, just the, the scheme in general and the terminology is so different and the speed that that's the other thing. So, you know, you have, you have kids who are fast, but sometimes don't play fast because they think a lot uh, because they're so confused about and what they're supposed to be doing. So you try to simplify it for them. And that's true, whether you're taking a, a ninth grader and, and putting them on your varsity defense or you're taking, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback and throwing them out there against NFL defenses. And you had a freshman take the ball 70 yards to glory yesterday. Is that correct? Yeah, pick six. He jumped a he jumped a wide receiver screen and uh, and went seventy yards to the house. So that was pretty. I didn't see the play live or originate. I was looking down at the play chart and I heard a roar and I looked up and and uh, I saw you know he's a freshman because he plays running back and corner and he's number eighty four. That's how you know. <laughs> <laughs> you get the leftover numbers, you know. And I saw number eighty four running down the field with a ball and I was like, oh my god, that's Tristan, you know. So that there was a that was pretty cool. We watched it on film and he made a great read, just, you know, recognized the screen and jumped it and took it to the house. So pretty exciting for a freshman. Well, that that's amazing. Let me ask you about the jump when you jump in, because you talked about the jump from jumping in, but let me ask you about the jump from year one to year two. How much does this, uh, does this really pay a lot of dividends right now? Oh, absolutely. The experience you get at any level, at any level, um, is invaluable, even if it's even if it leads to frustration, even if it's in, in a losing cause. I mean, there, there's there, you learn so much more when things are hard than when things are easy because it forces you uh, to to self reflect. When you <clears throat> when you when you're successful uh, and that success comes early and easy, you know sometimes you get complacent. Sometimes you think that you don't have to work as hard or that it's always going to be like this. But when you fail. Uh, or when you face adversity, then you're really forced to confront the reasons why and 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 uh, pose solutions to those things. And you really kind of have to kind of go back into the lab, both mentally and physically, and and look at what you learned and and how to improve upon it. So uh, it's better to have those lessons early. You know, it's better to have for 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 my team. It's better to have those lessons when I got four seniors on the team, and I know I have the whole team coming back next year. For the Steelers, it's better to learn it right now when they're not a Super Bowl contending team. You want Kenny Pickett out there uh, learning on the job. You want him to make mistakes right now. Um, you know, you want to see who can play and who can't. Like the Steelers, right, they're going to make a decision on Dan Moore Jr. over the next couple of weeks, I believe. I believe that the that the back end of the season will will decide whether or not they believe they can go forward with him or they have to replace him next year. 
And, and you want to learn that this year because next year is a year maybe where the Steelers, with some of the cap money, they can bring some guys in. And with the maturation of their uh, young players and with the high draft picks they're anticipated to get, you know, maybe next year they are a playoff team. So let's learn that stuff this year when they're not rather than next year when they have a chance to be. Because those growing pains are always going to be there. It's just a matter of when you put that player through that. A hundred percent. And it's true of everybody. It's true of even the, you know, think of the best players to, to ever play. Nobody walks in uh, and masters the game immediately. Even you look, you look at the guys who, who had early success, like a Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, I, but he certainly had le- had early success, but then Ben Roethlisberger had his own growing pains. A lot of them had to do with his maturity as a person and the way he approached the game and, you know, everybody's familiar with some of the off-field incidents that he had. I mean, the, the the NFL part seemed to come easy to him early on, but the the dealing with everything that came with that did not come easy. So he had to grow up in different ways. It's a, it's a maturation process for everybody at, at every level. And the people who do it the best uh, oftentimes are the ones who are the most grounded and who can handle both the adversity and the success equally well. Um and, you know, sometimes you don't know who those people are going to be. So that's another thing to really look at with Kenny Pickett. So far, I've been really impressed with his demeanor and his ability to handle failure. Uh, that speaks volumes about a person. So, you know, we'll see going forward, but I'm glad the Steelers are learning these things now. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. This is the 32nd anniversary of my first radio job. Thanksgiving, the night before Thanksgiving. I went on the air for the very first time at a top 40 radio station. And my gosh, I listened to those tapes. I was awful. And now I know what I can do now. And this is your third season here at BTSC. You did not really have experience on the mic. And if we go back and listen to your very first broadcast or my very first broadcast, you're going to be like, wow, who is that? And who is this now? Because we all learn things as we go. It doesn't matter what profession, what uh, hobby, whatever we're doing, whatever task we're doing, we improve with time and we learn from things. And you are a completely different broadcaster now than you were in 2020. And it's fantastic to, I mean, I bet you, you would cringe if you went back to listen. If I go back and listen, I'm saying, all right, this is where he matured on it. Cause I would look at it as a coach. Yeah, I think the people who succeed in any industry are are pretty self-reflective. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that they have an ability to recognize their own strengths and weaknesses and, uh, and are not intimidated by failure and are not intimidated by the need to have to change up. Uh, if you're resistant to change, I think you're going to run into a lot of obstacles in your professional life and in your personal life. Uh, things change, you know, and there's always room for improvement. Uh, and And if you can handle constructive criticism and if you can recognize your own shortcomings and and create a plan to improve upon them then you'll find success whether you're uh, an NFL football player a, a, a podcaster a, a teacher a business person whatever it might be there's there's room for that type of growth in in every field so you're the coach of the Steelers I'm going to go ahead and elevate you and I'm going to ask you some questions here because we talked about guys like Dan Moore Jr and of course we're talking about Kenny Pickett how do you look at Kenny Pickett and and take off the goggles that, well, he was a number one pick. He, I mean, there's so much of an emotional, so much of an investment in Kenny Pickett. Take that, take that out. 
just when you see the player, what are you seeing? And it doesn't matter whether he's Bailey Zappi or he's Kenny Pickett, whether he is an undrafted free agent or he's the 20th overall pick in the draft. Uh, I see Kenny Pickett improving every week. It's it's not dramatic improvement. It's not happening by leaps and bounds, but it's happening incrementally and it's happening in encouraging ways. For example, last week against the Bengals, Kenny Pickett improved in several areas. One was his pocket presence. He just was a little more patient in the pocket. He hung in a little bit longer. He took a couple of shots on uh, plays where he let his receivers come open. He hung in and he delivered good balls with pressure in his face. Two two throws to George Pickens jump out. One was a deep crossing route early in the game, and the other one was the, the touchdown pass he threw to Pickett. On both times, he took a helmet in the chest. Um, and, he, and you know, early, earlier in the year, he would he probably would have bailed out on those plays and and you know looked to escape outside the pocket. And the other area of improvement was when he did look to to move around, he was stepping up through the pocket, which is a huge. Uh, development for a quarterback it seems subtle but when you when you get pressure oftentimes the easiest escape route feels like you know going outside because you're running away from it but that's often the worst place that that you can go because your shoulders turn to the sideline you're not now uh down you know downfield with your receivers your receivers have to completely come out of their routes and adjust their routes and and meet you on your scramble and then and then you have the speed of nfl defenders who oftentimes when you get outside you know, they just chase you down, man. It's like watching a, a cheetah <laughs> track down its prey. Um, but the you know the t- harder thing to do, but the more effective thing is to be able to step up through the pocket to find that seam where you can just kind of get to an open area and, and keep your shoulders downfield and stay on platform and be able to deliver a good ball and your eyes are still up. And he did some of that. Um, I just I just think that we're seeing him get better in subtle ways, ways that maybe don't pop out at you ways that don't necessarily show up in the box score, but uh, things that will benefit him down the road. I don't know where else I'm going to hear this perspective. So thank you. So we're going to continue on this. Let's go ahead and look at 2023. And what's the biggest attribute of Kenny Pickett that we can go forward with. Then we're going to go to the cons on the list too. But when you're looking at the scouting report in 2023, What's the what's the first thing you look at where Kenny Pickett is going to kill another team? I don't know if there's an obvious thing just yet. I think that the thing that would be the most encouraging for me as a as the coach of the Steelers or the most worrisome as a, an opposing coach is just kind of his intangibles. I think he's a tough per- guy. I think he's a tough kid. Uh, I think. I think he's confident. Um, I think he's a good leader. I think that I think he has the the respect of his teammates. I think that when he gets into the huddle, people understand he's QB one, and I think that that those things will only uh, get better with him in time. I think the more that he masters the offense, uh, then uh, he's going to to present more and more problems to teams. One another encouraging sign from last week against Cincinnati, when you look at his his hit chart of all the different throws that he made. The Steelers were attacking the middle of the field more and pushing the ball down the field more. So, so they're getting more aggressive with him on downfield throws, and he's starting to throw the ball into the middle of the field more, which is an encouraging, encouraging sign. That's a hard, hard thing to read. You know, the easy throws are outside. The harder throws are across the middle when you have to make uh, 
you know, more complicated reads. So that you saw more of that. But I think the area that w- you'll really see him get more and more effective with is with his legs. Uh, the last two weeks, Matt Canada has run some designed runs for Kenny Pickett, you know, types of things that you see with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and Kyler Murray in Arizona. And I'm not suggesting Kenny Pickett is going to become one of those players. He's not. But the but he's he's athletic enough for Canada to to actually design some QB runs. And if he picks his spots and chooses them wisely, they could really cause problems for defenses. So long story short, I think looking, you know, moving forward, he's probably not going to have a defining trait. There's not one thing that he does at an elite level, but I think he's going to be able to do a lot of different things well so that if you're a defensive coordinator, you're going to have a lot that you have to prepare against. What's the biggest downfall of this man's game, Kevin? Right now, I think it's his accuracy. I I think that he misses throws that he probably shouldn't miss. Uh, I think his mechanics are not 100% there. There was a throw that um, he made uh, to Deontay Johnson on a third and four um, after TJ Watt had made his incredible interception against Cincinnati last week. And this is a you know this is an opportunity for the Steelers to cash in in the second half, take a lead. Um, they got the ball in the twenty-one yard line. Cincinnati's twenty-one, so they're they're right on the edge of the red zone. Uh, they wind up with third and four from the from the fifteen, and they run a mesh concept. And Pickett's first read is to Najee Harris running a wheel up the sideline, and he looks at Harris first, and it's covered. And his second read now is to a crossing route coming from the opposite side of the field. You have the route's called mesh because two receivers cross each other in the middle of the field at a mesh point. One, one moving, you know, uh, towards one sideline and one moving towards the other. So, so he reads Harris to his left, and then he's got to come back to Deontay Johnson, who's crossing the field from right to left, and he winds up spiking the ball at at, at Johnson's feet. His three, he pretty much throws it into the ground. It's probably his worst throw of the day. And when you really start to to look at what happened there, why why did he miss on that throw? It had a lot to do with his mechanics. He just wasn't able to reposition himself. He oriented first to the wheel to Harris, which was a a sideline throw. And then he had to reset his feet and his hips and come back and throw it in the middle of the field to Johnson. And he just wasn't able to do it. And that's, you know, I'm sure that's a, that's something he's done a thousand times in practice. I mean, that's a drill that quarterbacks work constantly where they're just going through their progressions and resetting their feet. But doing it live in an NFL game with a with a, a rush coming at you and all this chaos unfolding around you, he just wasn't able to do it. And uh, he doesn't have a strong enough arm to compensate when his mechanics aren't good. He's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. He can't make that crazy off-platform throw where he's stepping in one direction and zipping the dart in another direction. He's got to be on point with his mechanics. So he's not there yet. Um, and that affects his accuracy. So my hope is that he, as he gains experience and the game slows down, the mechanics improve and the accuracy improves with it. Excellent. So there's a lot of things to talk about with the offense and with Kenny Pickett. And we talked about a lot last week after the loss to Cincinnati that, all right, everybody's still blaming the offense. We're blaming the play calling. We're Blaming Kenny Pickett not being ready for primetime. We're blaming the offensive line for protection. We're blaming blaming a lot of things. But the defense still gave up 37 points. Or you can say they gave up 30 because of uh, the offense putting 
the Cincinnati offense into into a situation where they can score quickly because of that turnover on downs late in the game. But what went wrong in last week's game, Kevin? Well, they didn't have any answers uh, for T. Higgins, which is interesting because with Jamar Chase out, you thought, hey, this, this is an opportunity for the Steelers to really capitalize. But Cincinnati, I mean, Joe Burrow's a darn good quarterback, and uh, Cincinnati did a nice job attacking the Steelers' man-to-man coverage. Pittsburgh kind of went soft zone in the first half, and the Bengals had a lot of success throwing underneath. And soft zone's been bad for the Steelers pretty much all year. So they tightened up and they went man to man in the second half and and they just couldn't they they couldn't win one on ones. Cincinnati's receivers won one on ones all the time. And the thing that was discouraging about it is that Joe Burrow looked like he knew where he wanted to go with the ball pre snap, like all the time. And that's a problem because that means he's got a really good read on what the Steelers are doing defensively. And there when he got Arthur Mollette matched up one on one, he went after Arthur Mollette, and he, and he and he did so with a lot of success. They they actually, you know, began to put T Higgins in the slot so that he would he would uh, get the one on one against Mollette, and uh, and T Higgins beat him inside every time. The Steelers did a bad job, and they've really done a bad job. I don't know how, I don't know how they teach their press man, but they don't get their hands on guys. Like I know you know maybe that maybe they're being taught something different, but. If you're going to play press man, the whole idea of playing press is to eliminate the space between you and the receiver. Uh, and the best way to eliminate that space uh, it, when you get up in their face is get their, get your hands on a guy early. I mean, you can't touch a receiver past five yards in the NFL, but you got to get hands on early. And the Steelers were, were aligned in press, but they're, they're not getting any contact on the receivers. So like I, several times Higgins is just, I mean, this is, this is, this is high school stuff. He's, He's taking an outside jab step release and the Steelers defenders are jumping outside with it and they just coming back across their face. And that's just like, that's, you know, that's defensive back one-on-one. I mean, it just, it was frustrating to see um, because it felt like the Bengals were just way too comfortable. So, you know, the defensive back situation is obviously something the Steelers are going to have to address in the offseason. It definitely is. And I'm wondering if they are already thinking about that. Maybe that's why the trade for William Jackson III happened. Maybe it wasn't for 2022. Maybe that was just a move. They're like, hey, that's money we could spend now and go ahead and do it. So I, that's still, that whole thing's an enigma. You wonder, but yeah, it seems like that's a number one spot where you go after somebody. This is not on my page to talk about, but you talked about the Steelers getting defensive help. And one thing that I'm kind of on an island on this, and I'm not asking for anybody to join me on an island, but it drives me absolutely crazy when I hear the phrase, the Steelers do not know how to draft cornerbacks. Help me out with that one, Kevin, because my thought is in 2007, if the Jets don't jump ahead of the Steelers, they're picking Darrell Rivas. We already saw in 1987 where Rod Woodson fell to them and they picked a Hall of Fame cornerback and he played at a Hall of Fame level. If the Steelers are picking in the top five a few years back, Jalen Ramsey could be a guy. And I don't think Jalen Ramsey goes to crap wearing black and gold. Sauce Gardner this year at number four, we're seeing where he's elite. I just do not feel, Kevin, that if you're picking late in the 20s that a cornerback with a first round pick or a cornerback with a second round pick is as great as an attribute as as getting one in the top 10 
Yeah, I think a more probably a uh, better way to say it is that not that the Steelers can't draft corners, but that they haven't always done a great job developing the ones they've drafted. I think your point is good about what may have been. Uh, you know, we, we've already talked about in the in when they they traded for William Jackson, how how he seemed to be the guy on their radar, and Cincinnati jumped up and took him, and the Steelers grabbed Artie Burns, and then they weren't able to really develop Artie Burns. But you know, neither, nobody nobody else was either, really. So. So yeah, the Steelers have struggled obviously to uh, to turn their the corners they've drafted into either elite players or dependable starters, and that may be because the draft just hasn't fallen the way they've wanted it to. It may also be because they're not picking guys uh, who who fit the the scheme as well uh, that as they need to, or or maybe as well as guys that other other players they had targeted in the draft. It's so hard to know. It's just so the draft is such a difficult thing uh, when, to try to figure out as to why players succeed and why they fail, because there's so many intangibles. There's scheme fit, there's culture, there's the maturity of the player. You go through the combine and you look at all these numbers that these guys put up and you say to yourself, oh, that, that, that guy should be a great player because he can run this fast and he can jump this high. Um, but you don't know how, how's he going to react? You know, maybe he's a kid from the South and now he has to go play at a cold, you know, Northwest or Northeastern city. And, or maybe he's a kid that, that came from one scheme and an NFL team fell in love with his potential, but wanted to put him in another scheme and, and it was a bad fit. And you, you have to know all these things ahead of time as a, as an NFL team in order to land your draft pick, uh, what, you know, land the, the guy that you want. And, and when you don't, it's a swing and a miss, and uh, and it feels so obvious, but it's not. So I, I don't really know what the answer is to, as to why they haven't been able to to uh, to land or or develop great corners. But uh, they need to prioritize one in this draft. That's for darn sure. And they're 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 thin, and, and it's a noticeable weakness uh, on the team. Well, one thing that I feel that is a big thing to look at is when you're picking a quarter a quarterback you really want to get one in the top 10. Now, a guy getting Kenny Pickett at number 20 and Chad Pennington at number 20 years ago with the Jets, you know, that still works. They can still have good careers. But, and you can still pick a solid corner late. But just like a quarterback, a quarterback, the best ones go in the top 10. They do, for sure. Um but I, I, I really, I'm a real big believer in scheme fit. I think that you can find serviceable corners in, you know, the second round, even even into the third round, if you know exactly what you're looking for and how you want to use those players. Um, I mean, I think that they're, that they're you know, Steelers are going to play Indianapolis on Monday night. Now they've got an elite corner in Stephon Gilmore, who's still playing at a really, really high level, despite the fact that he's 32 years old. Stephon Gilmore is... Uh, you know, one of those guys that he's going to be great wherever he goes because he's got that kind of ability. But there are other corners, a guy named Kenny Moore, who is a really nice compliment to Stefan Gilmore, and they can do a lot of different things with him. Uh, and he's a lower draft pick, Kenny Moore, and um, and he's a guy that that you know it, it feels like Indianapolis had a um, a need and a, and a, a, a prototype that they wanted to identify to play opposite of, of Gilmore, knowing Gilmore's going to be able to play a lot of man and they're going to be able to take away opposing receivers with Gilmore. And now they want a more aggressive and versatile guy to play a lot of different schemes on the opposite side. And they've been able to do that with, with Kenny Moore. And I, I just think 
if you know what you're looking for and how you want to use a player, then, um, you know, you can have success even if he's not an elite, a so-called elite prospect. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the Colts, and we're going to do that when we come back with a little not-so-deja vu, but maybe deja vu. It's Here We Go, the Steelers pregame show with Brian Anthony Davis and KT Smith. Stick around. It's BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Welcome back to BehindTheSealCurtain.com. I am Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is KT Smith. He is the coach. Man, I tell you what, I've been around football for a long, long time as a fan, somebody that thought he studied it close, but when it comes down to X's and O's, just knowing schemes, knowing everything, man, it it makes me look like Urkel. And that's just a, a reference to the 1990s and someone that just would not know anything about football. Here we go. So, Kevin. Do, do you dance like Urkel? I would like to. I'm a bad dancer. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I get funky and I, I feel it and I like it, but eh, I'm not good. Um, so I would probably think Urkel's probably a better dancer than me. Okay. Uh, Brian Anthony Davis Urkel dance off would be a fabulous thing to see. Well, yeah, I, I tell you what, that's uh, we can set that up for charity. I mean, <laughs> yeah. gosh, you know, you know, people, you you could probably make that happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have, I'm visualizing it right now. And it's fantastic. So uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm, uh, I'm bad. Uh, but you are bad. I, I, yeah, I guess I am bad. There we yeah. go. <laughs> Let's go into a little bit of a deja vu. And so the Colts and the Steelers, this is not the first time they're going to play Monday night football on November 28th in Indianapolis in that same stadium. I don't know if you know that, you know, the last time they played on November 28th on a Monday night, I'm going to say 2005. It was 2005. I can still see Peyton Manning hitting a wide open Marvin Harrison for like a gut punch touchdown early in the game for like a bomb. It was like an 80 yard touchdown or something like that. Over Ike, who Ike is yeah. revered at, at cornerback for the Steelers. He's yeah. Revered. And you just knew how that game was going to go. But you know what I, you know what else I remember about that game? I also remember thinking, good. I want to get, if we're going to get blown out by the Colts, let's have, let's have it be now. And maybe in the postseason, then you know, in the old uh, "it's hard to beat a team twice" category, maybe maybe we'll avoid a similar fate in the playoffs. And you know, were you yeah. really thinking that? Oh, I, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I remember watching that game and saying, "All right, I'm glad, I'm glad it's happening now," because it felt like you know the Steelers and the Colts were clearly two of the best teams in the AFC then, and thinking like, "All right, if we're going to run into them in the playoffs, I'd rather ha- I'd rather get routed in the regular season." Now it's two teams that a lot of people thought, especially the Colts, the Colts were one of my Super Bowl picks at the beginning of the season. I thought they were going to be tremendous. I thought there was a possibility that the uh, Colts could be undefeated going into this game. I really thought a lot about this team, and it's it's not to be. They're not playing yeah. good football right now. They have a new coach in Jeff Saturday, which, my gosh, a lot of people were open. 
up in arms. NFL guys, broadcasters, people that have played the game are mad that a guy that's had no experience, you have more experience as a coach than Jeff Saturday does. Now he's an NFL coach. Now he's he has more experience, but he was not an assistant at any level. He didn't even coach high school football. Call it, he coached nothing. What are yeah. your thoughts? My t- my take on that hire is that it's all it's all about culture. That Jeff Saturday was brought in to revitalize sort of the the culture in and around the Colts, and really to sort of give them. I'm not I'm not suggesting he's a cheerleader, but really just sort of like, you know, preach to that team the importance of the locker room uh, continuity. I mean, he's a great leader. He Peyton Manning raved about him as the Colt Center over those years and what it, what an impact he had on the team in general, just with his leadership that, that they that they want more of a leader. They want more of a vocal uh, guy. They've got some. You know, they've got like Gus Bradley's the defensive coordinator and Gus Bradley's been a head coach before Gus Bradley can probably assist Jeff Saturday with some of the the head coaching things that Jeff Saturday doesn't know about and it's Jeff Saturday's job to rally the team and and you know br- you know breathe some life into the into them because uh I think that they were underachieving and maybe they didn't feel as though Frank Reich was the the fiery personality that that they needed, so they've replaced Frank Reich with a guy who's very much not Frank Reich. Um, and then we'll see. I don't know how long he can go with you know how how long with that. This is not college; it's the NFL. These are grown men. These aren't nineteen twenty year olds who you can kind of get to do the rah rah stuff. So we'll see how long he can go with his sort of just sort of motivational speaker approach, um, and and how quickly he can learn to actually real, be a, a real NFL head coach. It's, a, it's an interesting experiment. I'm anxious to see it. I've all, always been a fan of Jeff Saturday as a player. I thought he was tough, one of the toughest guys on the field as a center. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what this does for this team. They came out with a win. Then they came out losing in the last seconds to the Philadelphia Eagles, which could have been Philly's second straight loss in a row. So this team is playing tough. They definitely are. But like you said, how long can it go on? So how do the Steelers match up with the Colts to you? I I still think the Colts are the better team, but I think this is a winnable game for the Steelers. Uh, Absolutely. First of all, if you like offense, uh, (laughs) you might want to watch something else because uh, this is not, a showcase of uh, explosive NFL offenses. The the Steelers are 28th in points per game at 17 points per game, and the Colts are 31st at 15.7. So you've got two of the worst scoring offenses in the NFL. Uh, it's a little surprising on Indianapolis's side because, you know, you have Jonathan Taylor uh, at tailback. You have Matt Ryan, at quarterback, and Matt Ryan's still doing some good things. Um, but they're just, you know, they're just near the bottom of the league in every category, whether it's yards, rushing yards. Taylor, you know, t- I love Jonathan Taylor, man. He's a South Jersey guy. Uh, I got to see him play in high school. You want to talk about a boy amongst men, or I'm sorry, a man amongst boys in high school. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was an absolute beast in high school and led his high school, Salem High School, to a couple state championships. And so I've always been a fan of his, and he's a powerful, you know, downhill runner. But in the opener – uh, against against uh, Houston, they ran him 31 times. He had 161 yards, but it was a lot of carries. And then he got hurt in week two, um, and he missed three games. And since he's come back, 
they've they've slowly given him a bigger workload, but they've 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 been careful to try to limit his carries. So I you know I wonder if man did they just did they kind of you know wear him out too much in in, in week one with that heavy workload? Uh, and Matt Ryan's been you know he's been efficient. He's been like his his completion percentage is like sixty nine percent, and he's getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, but they're not doing explosive things. You know, we talk about the Steelers not being explosive. Similarly, Indianapolis is not explosive. But the big thing that's killing the Colts is like they've given up 40 sacks between Ryan and uh, Sam Erlinger when he was in. Um, they're tied for the most sacks given up in the NFL. So if you think about if you're the Colts and you look at the Steelers defense uh, and their pass rush and, and you recognize that, you know, you've given up more sacks than any team in the NFL. And then I got block TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and Alex Highsmith, et cetera. It, it, it's going to be imperative on the Colts to be able to run the football and limit the damage the Steelers can do with their pass rush. The Steelers have been stopping the rush fairly well the last few games. In fact, they did not give up a lot to the Cincinnati Bengals, but Joe Mixon only played a half. So my question to you, Kevin, is... This is a really tough guy to stop, and they have not had a lot of success. They've won games against the Colts, but they've had trouble stopping Jonathan Taylor. How can they do it? Well, I mean, the Steelers are, like you said, yeah, they're up to sixth in the NFL and stopping the run, and Indy's 26th in the NFL and running the football. So I think, you know, they have to just do what they do. I mean, they have to play the the – you know, the same defense that they've been playing and they've certainly improved with Larry Ogunjobi back in the lineup. And he's, he's a difference maker inside when Ogunjobi alleviates a lot of the pressure on Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward has been phenomenal the last two weeks. I almost did a film room on him this week. I just didn't have the time. I wanted to just do one just to be like, you guys, let's Steelers fans. Let's appreciate Cam Hayward while we, while we still have him because he's doing some tremendous things. He can't be blocked one-on-one. And that's the thing that's happened since Ogunjobi's come back in the lineup is Ogunjobi has helped to draw some double teams and, and free up Cam Hayward and Ogunjobi can move. And so um, he's not just a, you know, he's not like an old school nose tackle who just plugs a gap. And so when they start to slant and stunt and move around, and now you kind of get, you know, offenses to have to adjust their blocking schemes that really helps Cam Hayward. And uh, so, I mean, I, I think that the Steelers are, are, are pretty solid in that regard. I'd be surprised if Indy can just run it down their throats. You know, if, if the Colts are going to certainly try to run the football and hopefully for them, they're going to try to hope, hope to set up the play action game. The, the biggest weakness still with this, we talked about the corners early, but the mat, the mismatches that you can get against Pittsburgh's linebackers are still pretty significant. So I would imagine that, you know, that you, you'll see a decent play action game from the Colts as well. Um, so, you know, yeah, if I'm Indy, that's my game plan, man. Try to, Try to pound Jonathan Taylor a little bit. Try to use it to set up the play action game and and take advantage of the uh, you know Steelers in the middle of the field in the passing game. With the Steelers on offense, how do you get back on track? And could this be the good back on track week for them? We're not talking playoffs anymore. We're just talking getting back there. Yeah, that, Indy's sneaky good on defense. They're uh, I mean they're they're fourth in yards they're 10th against the pass they're 11th in points i mean they're they're just they're not elite anywhere but they're good in all their categories so i think they're like 14th in sacks and i mean one one and and how good are they it's hard to know they've played some weak offenses they played houston they played denver washington vegas 
They play Jacksonville twice. None, none of those are elite offenses. And so maybe those numbers are skewed a little bit by the fact that they haven't played great offenses, but of course the Steelers aren't a great offense. So, I mean, you know, they're going to, they're going to take Stephon Gilmore and they're going to use him uh, to try to lock down, you know, George Pickens. That's what I would imagine that Gilmore is going to, going to draw Pickens uh, and that that's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough to get him the ball. And uh, I, you know, I think that the Steelers have to keep incorporating Pat Fryermuth in the offense. They have to really, Pat Fryermuth is a budding star in this league. I, I really believe that. And he is so diverse and they can do so many different things with him. And last week they showed that they were more willing to throw the ball in the middle of the field. And so uh, I think that that's got to be their attack as well. Uh, you know, Najee Harris has looked better. He's getting, you know, 90, 99 yards two weeks ago, 90 yards last week. I mean, he's, he's had his two best weeks of the season the last two weeks. Matt Canada's starting to run some outside zone more, which is really encouraging because, you know, when I, two years ago when they hired Matt Canada, I said, oh, this is going to be a, a San Francisco style offense. They're going to run wide zone, boot, play action, all that stuff. And they really couldn't do it with Ben Roethlisberger. But I fully anticipated seeing it this year with a more mobile quarterback. And we just didn't. We didn't see any of it. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the wide zone play because of the way it displaces defenses from their gaps and gets them all flowing to the ball because you can now boot back and counter and run all sorts of constraint plays off of it. And we're see starting to see a little bit more of that with the Steelers offense. So for me, you know, let's 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 attack him like that, man. Let's run more wide zone. Let's run more play action. Let's get the ball to fire and uh, It's you know, Pickens up against Gilmore is going to be a wash most likely. So Deontay Johnson has another one. He's got to have a big week, man. He's got to step up. Deontay Johnson's been a huge disappointment to me. He was virtually non-existent last week. I mean, it feels like every week he's got you know one or two dumb pre-snap penalties. Uh, you know, I mean. He got paid. I mean, he didn't get paid like an elite receiver, but he got paid like a really good receiver. He needs to be a really good receiver on Monday night. Let me ask you this question. What is the Steelers record against the Colts since 1978? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea whatsoever. <laughs> is that Bert, the Burt Jones Colts? Were they the Baltimore Colts then? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so the reason I'm going back to 1978 is well actually they uh the Steelers started a pretty good record but we can even go back further but just to give you an idea since 1978 the Steelers are have 21 wins how many losses do they have against the Colts not many it feels like they've had a lot of success against the Colts uh I'm you know Peyton Manning probably beat him a few times and uh, I'm going to guess they probably, I, they probably haven't lost more than five times. 21 and three. Yeah, there you go. Peyton Manning has beaten this team once and it was in a thriller in 2008. It was a last second win. It was a comeback win. And that's the last time that the Colts have beaten the Steelers. So the Steelers are seven, have won seven straight against this team. And if you go back in history, they started this this series in 1950, but they only played in 50, 57, and 68 in those decades. So there's only you know only three times in the 50s and 60s have these two teams played, and it's really funny because in those first three games, Steelers are still two and one against that team. And I am not so sure if Johnny Unitas has ever beaten 
the Steelers. It's so funny. sometimes, sometimes certain franchises just seem to have some thing over other franchises for for whatever reason, right? It doesn't doesn't seem to make any rhyme or make any sense. You go from one era to another, and but for whatever reason, yeah, you, there's just there's just places or or, uh, or or organizations against which you do really well, and like you just said, this is one of them for the Steelers. So twenty six and six yeah. all time. It's it's really weird to think. What I think the the biggest thing for me and the big one of the biggest disappointments in for me in football was when the Colts left Baltimore because right now there should be no Ravens and this should be one of the greatest rivalries in football Steelers and Colts. Hmm, yeah, the Ravens <laughs> they've always felt illegitimate. Yeah, <laughs> they they still do. They won two Super Bowls and they still feel feel like they're an illegitimate team. I I agree with you on that. So, what's your thoughts on this game? Can the Steelers I mean, is this a perfect team to play this week for the Steelers? I think this I don't know if they're a perfect team to play because they're they're tough on defense. They're and they're, they're fundamentally sound and a gu- like Gus Bradley, their defensive coordinator. When you think back uh, to last season, he was the defensive coordinator in Las Vegas and Vegas beat the Steelers in the second week of the season. Steelers had just come off that exciting upset of the Bills in Buffalo, and they came home for their home opener. And I think everybody felt pretty optimistic about it. Uh, you know, it's Vegas. Vegas isn't isn't great, and and Vegas came in there and they just. I mean, I'm not saying they dominated the game, but but they they beat the Steelers soundly, and the Steelers just couldn't get anything going on offense. They they would drive the ball, and then they they have a penalty or a mistake, or they give them a sack, or Roethlisberger threw an interception, and Something inevitably like they got frustrated and that. And I think the reason was because Gus Bradley's defenses are, they're not sexy, but they are, they're sound. They don't give up big plays. They don't, you know, they, they're not going, you're not going to, to get a blown coverage or bad run fits. That's going to lead to, you know, a 50, 60 yard play. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to drive the field and be consistent and not have self-inflicted wounds. And that's the thing that worries me going into Monday night. Are, can the Steelers play clean enough on offense to score points against a good defense? Because it just feels like like the Steelers inevitably will have some penalty or some mistake or or whatever that will that will put them behind the chain. So they've got to feel they've got to play clean football. It's going I think it's going to be a, a kind of like an ugly game. It's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, I think the Steelers can win. I, I do. Um, but I think it's going to be like one of those sort of 1917, you know, or, or 16, 13 games. That's uh, going to come down to the final possession. So you are putting your BTSE bucks on this team though this week. Anytime that it's a toss up, I'm putting my bucks on the Steelers hundred percent. That's I can't, I can't not, that's my that's the fan in me that you know I try to be the I try to be like the objective analyst, but if it's a toss-up, I'm picking the Steelers. All right. This might be a tough one this week, but let's do due to the week. Yeah, that last week was a, a that, that certainly was a tough one. And I was thinking about this before the show. I was like, man, who who's the dude of the week? Because I just uh I you know I kind of racked my brain. And we we talked about last week, we said, well, we can't pick TJ Watt every week because we could, but when I thought about that game last week, that the interception TJ Watt made, it's it's mind-boggling. 
how how he was able to uh, while while jumping up no more than five feet from Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow's throwing the ball, you know, like he's throwing a slant route. So he's drilling it. Right. It's not like some little lofted pass uh, for for TJ Watt to jump up in the air, locate the ball, get his hand on it and somehow control that and, and then come down with it while the offensive tackle is shoving him to the ground. I mean, that that should have been a play that turned the game in Pittsburgh's favor. You know, that that should have been that should have been the play where 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 we're having the podcast and we're going like, well, the game totally changed when T.J. Watt made that remarkable interception because the Steelers then punched it in, scored a touchdown, took the momentum and and won the football game. And we're not having that conversation, but that doesn't take away from what a ridiculously good play that was by T.J. Watt. So, I, you know. Uh, at the, I know we could pick him every week, but he stands out to me. How about you? I'm going to go with Najee Harris. I just think each week he is running harder. He is running tougher. No, I just feel like uh, you know the the Steelers are are getting better on offense each week. I, I really do think the Steelers are improving, and and the the results might not show it. Um, but with you know some of the injuries that they've had to deal with and the young players they're incorporating, they're, you're just seeing signs of improvement, even if it doesn't show that on the scoreboard. So I'm optimistic and I think they're heading in the right direction and they're heading into the softer part of their schedule. So I think this, they got a great chance to, to win on Monday night in Indianapolis. Are you feeling better about Najee? I know you have not been down on him, but a lot of fans have been. I just thought that he, he looked indecisive early in the, in the season and, and not explosive. And I think part of it was just not recognizing cuts and seeing the field well and uh and i think you know that may have to do with the fact that he wasn't real familiar with his offensive line and the more that they that they all play together i think the better they're all going to get so yes i definitely feel better about him now let me ask you this i don't know the answer what's jalen warren's status because he went out uh of the game last week and i thought they really missed him in the second half because of that sort of explosive change up that he offers and i don't know what his status is going into monday night there is not a status right now. He has a DNP next to him. Mason Cole's had a DNP next to him, and losing Mason Cole was just as crucial. So that really that really hurt this this running game because it has now turned into a two-headed monster. It is a running back by a small committee. It's not a huge committee. It's just two guys. But Mike Tomlin has admitted that that's the direction that looks like they're going to be going into. So... Najee Harris held his own, but you need to have Jalen Warren in there. You need to have Jalen's going to make Najee better. The less Najee is better. He bell cow needs to be over in Pittsburgh. And I think uh, this era right now is showing it. Right. And he's especially effective Warren on third downs. And I thought the Steelers missed him in some third down opportunities uh, last week. So hopefully I don't know what his status is either, but I, you know, they'll it will benefit the offense certainly if he's out there. So the last injury report that came out, it came out on eleven twenty four. So it came out on Thanksgiving Day. You have you have seven guys on that list. It's Miles Boykin, Akella Witherspoon, Jalen Warren, Mason Cole. They all have DNPs next to their name with an oblique, a hamstring, a hamstring, and a foot with Mason Cole. There's three other guys that did not have to practice yesterday, but it was the coach's decision resting player. It was TJ Watt, Cameron Hay- Hayward, and Larry Ogunjobi. So you don't worry about the resting player guys. You worry about the four guys here. 
Miles Boykins are very important because of what he's doing on special teams. He's DHB. He's Darius Hayward Bay. And expect to see Miles Boykin a long time in Pittsburgh. Akella Witherspoon, it's a wonder why he has not been put on IR so far. He's really hurt with a hamstring. Jalen Warren has the hamstring. And Mason Cole has, like we just mentioned, the foot. So we just have to see where we're going on that. Friday is going to tell you a whole lot more. With this being a Monday game, this was the very first injury report of the week for the Steelers. They did not have to put one out on Wednesday. So look at that. Don't think about this as your typical uh, Friday being the last day. Saturday is the last day to make decisions, and we're going to find out a lot over the next two days. Right. And, and uh, yeah, Cole and Warren, those are the two names to really keep your eye on because they're huge to what the Steelers do on offense for sure. And keep in mind that we are recording this two hours before it's about to air. So we are, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, we're recording this on Friday. So a lot of things are, I mean, they're really close to being real. Uh, you're not going to, we're not going to have to wait and see. And a decision has already been made after you've heard it. No, you're pretty much we're live and up to date. Yeah. And uh, so it's go time, man. Do you like Monday night football, Brian? When I was a kid, it was the greatest thing ever. Even when I was in high school and college, I loved it. I loved them being showcased. Now as a working adult, I hate it. <laughs> even too, more, even more being on BTSC. Yeah. Yep. Gosh, because after the game, I've got two to three hours of production after the game. Yep. So, no, I, I don't like it anymore. No, I do not either. <laughs> Same way, man. I, mean, I was a kid and I hear that, like, dun, 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 dun. And oh. The music had started. It was like one of the most exciting things imaginable. And, and now and I'm like, yeah, now I'm like, oh, I got to stay up till past midnight. People don't understand how awesome it was to listen to Howard Cosell. Oh, yeah. The because Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, you'd hear that and you'd get like, oh, that was like, such an iconic voice and either he was i think the only guy in and he's not even close uh to being a hype man you know like get get to get you like excited for a game just because of the power of their voice is, is gus johnson if you listen to his his uh his college football broadcast yeah i i will give you that tony and i we when we would do the uh retro show we would watch these games in full and we still do. I, I still watch them for these articles that I'm doing for the most memorable games, but it's really interesting because Howard Cosell, he always said, I tell it like it is. Mm -hmm. And you know what he did? He would say if a guy sucked <laughs> or if he's been a disappointment, it was like, there's a second year player and they made a trade and uh, San Francisco made a trade and he's like, and he's still a disappointment. And then I'm like, uh -huh. wow, I mean, <laughs> gosh, he would just like, he would go after players and it was the truth. And it's what people actually wanted to hear. You can't do that now. That's, no. we're, we're too warm and fuzzy now. Well, we're also too tied in to the, the corporations, the advertisers, the NFL teams. They're all, you know, they're all making money together, man. So you, you can't be too critical of anything. You can't be too, you know, it's just, it's a different world for sure. If it was a dirty play, he would say, that was a dirty play. 
I mean, now we get, well, it's questionable. He should have been flagged. Let's bring in the former head of officials from 1986 to tell us what they think. Well, yeah. guys, I, I kind of think they should have thrown the flag on that play. No, it was different back then. It was really good stuff. 100%. I missed that era. era. Uh, I really do too. Uh, but you know, Monday night football used to be the great thing. Now it's, now you're kind of like, uh, we're really upset because you're going to be able to flex Monday night football games next year, week 12. You're going to start seeing the flexing of Monday night football, which I think is going to be a disaster, but I'm going to be glad to see it. But as a Steeler fan, this game should have been flexed and would have been flexed. <laughs> it's just not. We love the fact that they were flexed last week out of Sunday night football. But yeah. I will say this, Kevin, there's a lot of people that don't realize that you don't realize that can't get these games because they don't, they aren't able to pay for the package or they don't have the package and they rely on the, the primetime games to see the Steelers. No, that's a good point as well. And, um, and I'm sure that that the networks are are happy to have Pittsburgh because they're always a big draw, no doubt about that. It just not, it just doesn't promise to be a uh, aesthetically pleasing football game in an era where everybody loves offense so much and they they'd love to have 38 35 games and we're more we're more likely to get a, a 16 13 game. In the meantime and in between time, uh, take care of your friends, take care of your family, and Kevin, as always, I thank you for everything and you've got to keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the hypocycloids we will see you next week mm-hmm.